Hi folks, Lisa Monaco here. As usual, an eventful couple of weeks in the world of national security. A report in the New York Times detailing President Trump's finances has raised fresh security concerns. And in election-related news, last week, the FBI and CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, released a rare warning about online foreign disinformation campaigns. Also, according to the Washington Post, a top-secret CIA assessment concludes that President Putin and his top aides are probably directing an influence operation to tilt the election against Joe Biden. Meanwhile, Attorney General Bill Barr has declared three cities, New York, Portland, and Seattle, as anarchist jurisdictions and has threatened to withhold appropriated federal funds. I talk about all this and more with Ken Weinstein on the newest episode of the United Security Podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip with listeners of Stay Tuned with Preet. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid .edu email qualify for a discount at cafe.com slash student. That's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So the other news that um, came out relating to CIA and their Russia analysis uh, that I was keeping my eye on was this story, I think it came out in Politico, that said that uh, there's been a claim that the CIA is slowing down intelligence uh, coming from what's called Russia House, which is, of course, the analytical center at, at the CIA that produces and focuses on Russia and produces um, intelligence analysis related to Russia's activities, that the intelligence analysis coming out of there, out of Russia House, is is getting kind of running into some headwinds inside CIA headquarters and being slowed down uh, before it gets sent what's called downtown, right, to the White House. And that there's some fears that that's because there's concern that sending that intelligence down there would anger President Trump. At least that was the assertion or the kind of the spirit of the assertion in that article. What did, what did you make of all that? You know, it's hard to know. Um, look, I mean, we, we cited earlier uh, the the reward that Chris Ray got for speaking truthfully about the Russians' efforts to interfere in the election. You know, he got chastised on Twitter by the president. So, you know, there, there's a pattern here that this happens, has happened routinely, where the intelligence community has spoken the truth, the hard truth, um, based on their intelligence, and they get their knuckles wrapped for it or worse. And look, in, in the CIA in particular, I mean, they, they've been dealing with this. But look, the intelligence community in general, I mean, you go back to the very beginning, go back to the transition when the intelligence community represented by the ODNI, the CIA, FBI, and NSA put out their intelligence analysts about the analysis about the election and what had happened, uh, you know, finding that the Russians interfered. They did so at the best of Putin. And uh, the, what really got the president was they concluded that the Russians did so with the effort and intent to try to help Trump. And, you know, when he got that in early January, his response was to call the intelligence community Nazis. He, you know, analogized them to Nazis. And, you know, my, my client, very good friend, Jim Clapper, you know, called the president, the president-elect at that point, and 
told them that wasn't the case. And, uh, and you know, the intelligence community just uh, tried to explain that they tell the truth, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent for the president. Their, their job is just to tell the facts so that the, the decision makers, and particularly the president, know the facts before deciding on policy. It's a hard thing to do in a very fraught relationship like you have here between the president, and I'm not saying the White House, I'm talking about the president himself and the intelligence community. So it wouldn't surprise me if an intelligence agency it recognizes that reality and is careful about how it messages things to the White House to make sure that it minimizes the blowback. That being said, and, and I imagine that is happening and I wouldn't be surprised at all, um, you know, working with allies within the White House to make sure that news that might not be seen favorably by the president is delivered in a way that will, will reduce the possibility of blowback. That's all appropriate. Uh, what isn't appropriate is to limit the flow of intelligence to the White House and to prevent telling the president bad news because you don't want to be the bearer of bad news. And my hope and expectation is that that's not happening. If that is happening, then that is an abdication of the responsibility of an intelligence professional. And what I know of the professionals who are in the critical positions over at the CIA, right now, I wouldn't expect that. So my hope is that this is reporting about this sort of delicate way, the delicate dance that an intelligence agency has to engage in now because of this president and his distrust of the intelligence community, but is not in any way an effort to prevent the flow of critical intelligence, whether it's good or bad news for the president, to the White House. There's one other possible explanation for this, or at least one other possible explanation. And that's that, you know, there is a history here of the president not paying particular attention to sensitive sources and methods, right? And sensitive information. And, you know, he's famously, you know, blurted things out or shared, in fact, with Russian interlocutors information that he shouldn't have in that famous meeting with uh, Ambassador Kislyak and Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of, of Russia. So uh, I, it's conceivable that the intelligence professionals at CIA um, are taking great care in what they send down because they're worried that some of that information could find its way to folks in, in meetings with, with foreign adversaries or on calls with Putin. And that is, if that's an explanation, that's just crazy, right? I mean, it's it just shows you yet another reason why it feels like we're in a bit of a parallel universe here. Yeah, and keep in mind, and this goes back to what we were saying at the outset when we talked about the president's taxes. The president doesn't need to go through a background. He doesn't need to get a clearance. He gets a clearance the day that he's voted in as president of the United States. And he has the ability to classify information. He has the ability to declassify information. So armed with that ability and with a lack of regard for the importance of protecting sources and methods, you can see how the uh, intelligence agency might see him as a danger, um, that he might release some really important information that could get some of our agents killed. So understandable why that might well be a motivation behind whatever kind of bureaucratic process is going on that led to this report. So that's enough now on the on the election. Um, I think we've covered the intelligence on the election and the sort of the goings on in the intelligence community. Now let's talk about the fact that um, here we are in the old good old U.S. of A. and we're surrounded by anarchist jurisdictions. <laughs> yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. 
You're anarchist jurisdiction. In fact, I think you travel to one occasionally when you go to New York City, the belly of the anarchist beast. Right. And, you know, by some um, judgments, I, I live in one since I live in Washington, D.C., since I think the reporting is that D.C. is also on this hit list from President Trump and Attorney General Bill Barr. I mean, it's it, it kind of it, it's a little bit head snapping here that this is this is what we're talking about. But where does this anarchist jurisdiction thing come from? Yeah, it's odd. So the president put out a memo to announce that his administration would not be providing federal tax dollars to fund cities that allow themselves to deteriorate into lawless zones. And this presidential memo sets up a process by which the attorney general in consultation with the secretary of DHS and the director of the Office of Management and Budget, will publish a list identifying those state and local jurisdictions that have permitted violence and the destruction of property to persist and have refused to undertake reasonable measures to counteract these criminal activities, i.e. anarchist jurisdictions. Those anarchist jurisdictions then will be identified as uh, subject to loss of federal funding. And the tasking for this has fallen on uh, Bill Barr. Bill Barr has then gone through this process in conjunction with uh, the secretaries of the relevant departments. And he has announced that um, the three jurisdictions that he thinks should be eligible for a discontinuation of federal funding are New York, Portland, and Seattle. So, okay, so he's labeled these things these three cities, anarchist jurisdictions. So he's so now we're in kind of blacklist territory of these cities. And I have to say, kind of my reaction, look, I don't want to minimize, you know, there have been some definite episodes of violence and looting and arson in some of these places, right? I think that with regard to Seattle, Portland, and New York, I don't think it's all been equal across those three cities. So let's just make that point. So kind of cath- brushing them all with the same brush seems uh, excessive. Second is the whole thing strikes me as A, a political exercise, B, really kind of just to kind of geek out here on the law, a, a real state's rights question here, which so it's kind of ironic that, you know, the Republican administration, which normally is, is one that is very protective of states' rights, would kind of take this approach, right? And then lastly, and probably most importantly, it seems massively counterproductive, right? So if just kind of stepping back to kind of first principles, if the idea here that what the president is so concerned about is the diminution of law enforcement presence or attention to these cities or pockets of these cities, it seems to me a pretty counterproductive way to go about this to cut funding to law enforcement and community organizations and other um, sources of federal funding to these cities that would contribute to the decline uh, of those communities. So it just strikes me as kind of crazy all the way around. Yeah, I mean, it's a nakedly political maneuver, right? Um, This is all part of an effort to depict himself, I'm talking about the president, to depict himself as the guardian of law and order and to depict the democratic mayors of these cities and democratic leadership in general around the country as being permissive of violence, as being willing to condone the violence that we've seen in various instances in the context of the protests over the last few months. And in fact, they have a list in the executive order of the types of things. 
I hope you've enjoyed this sample from the United Security Podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.